1: Any Massey people? (laughs) A couple Massey people. Is that Chris? (laughs) Anyway, um, he made a proclamation on January 31st, 1957. A day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed to be observed on the second Monday in October. And I like to point that out to people on Thanksgiving because 66 years ago in Canadian history, our Governor General actually issued a proclamation giving thanks to Almighty God. And... uh, That's in our foundation as our country. We need to pray um, that we can get back to that place as a country. Um, But as Christ followers, how many know we're Christ followers? We're commanded to be thankful every day. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. As Christians, we should always be thankful every day. And I find that, you know, people get into complaining and then they don't get into thankfulness. None of you have ever done that though, right? Okay, maybe you guys need to stand up for a second. Everyone stand, 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 stand. Jump, jump, jump. Jump, 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 jump. jump. Okay, sit, sit, sit. I wanna encourage you, find something to be thankful for today. Make a list if you have to. I mean, there's so many things I'm personally grateful for. Obviously, we'd be thankful for things like Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Um, My amazing wife and daughters, you know, I'm thankful for them. Uh, All of you who gather and worship with us as a church family today, you know, hey, let's create an attitude of thankfulness in our hearts and in our homes. and, And really, that will create the atmosphere in your life. How many like walking into a atmosphere of complaining? Isn't it better to walk into an atmosphere of thankfulness and gratefulness? So as we start, I'll do it here as well. I talked about this a little bit at first service. So how many of you have a view on the return of Jesus? You have a perspective, right? I don't really care what your view is on the return of Jesus, He's going to come back one day, and it's all going to be focused, according to biblical prophecy, on the Middle East, this little country called Israel. And you're going to see a lot of things happen in Israel, some of them good, some of them bad, um, all of them human right now. God put some stuff in his book, but there's a lot of human activity that's going to be happening. And um, I'm going to say this. There's a lot of politics when we go to war, and the first casualty of war is innocence. Okay. And this is a situation that's been around since the days of Ishmael and Isaac in your Old Covenant, if you've read it, okay? The book of Genesis. And this conflict has been there for a very long time. And we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem as Christians and try not to get caught up in the politics because what you're gonna see is you're gonna see very strong response and you're gonna see innocent people are gonna die in war. It's the first casualty of war but we have to pray for all the people involved that they can get to know Christ and that God will bring peace. Okay, that said, um, by chance yesterday, um, my wife made some homemade bread with one of our daughters and she also made chicken soup and tabbouleh and a few other things, but I'm getting off topic there. Um, how many love homemade bread? How many have never had homemade bread? Oh, you're just missing out. I'm sorry. At any rate, it was so good, and and I thought it so fitting that that so good bread was the prelude for today's conversation about Jesus and how he revealed his divine character and nature to humans as I am the bread of life. And he makes this statement a couple times in John 6, verse 34 and 48, you know, and this Greater context, though, is where I'm going to back up to so you can get an idea of the framework by which Jesus makes these statements about him being the bread of life. So if you read earlier in the chapter of John 6, you see Jesus fed 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Now, can you imagine feeding 5,000 plus people with just five loaves of bread and two fishes? Think about the math. I mean, you'd have to have a loaf of bread the size of this platform times five. (laughs) But it wasn't. It was a miracle that Jesus did at that point. And it seems like uh, the people wanted to make him king by force when he started feeding them. So he went and played hide and seek and he disappeared into the hills for a bit. You can read this all through John 6. Then the disciples realized that he wasn't coming back to them that night. So or thought so, and they got in a boat and started rowing across the Sea of Galilee. And if you've been there, it's about eight miles, you know, 12 to 15 kilometers across the Sea of Galilee. And it says they were out about three to four miles or about six six kilometers or so were in Canada. And they encountered a wind, a gale, um, um, some choppy water. Has anyone ever been on the water in a storm? I think I was on six or eight foot swells one time on the Lake Erie. That was pretty uh, pretty choppy. Has anyone ever been on water like that? couple of you. Once on a cruise, I was in these 19 to 25 foot swells. That was great. Sitting in the dining room by myself because no one else could eat. (laughs) But in the middle of this storm where they're rowing, trying to get to the other shore and clearly struggling halfway out in the lake, all of a sudden Jesus in this 200 foot water is just walking across the water over to where they're at. (laughs) And then you miss the other miracle there because it says when they invited him onto the boat, they were instantly at the other side. So how'd they get those other four? It boom, translated. People forget about that part of the miracle. And then it picks up in John 6, where I'm going to start reading to you today. And I'm going to work through this passage of scripture. I'm going to explain this a little different today. But in John 6, 22, it says, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore, not the shore. They were on the other shore, saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. So They were smart people. They were like, well, we saw the disciples get in the only boat, so where did Jesus go? Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got in their boats, and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, replies, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So, everyone say natural food? food. Spiritual food. They were looking for natural food because he fed them, and he was pointing out to them that what's more important is spiritual food, and they need to pay attention to that. And that's why in verse 27, Jesus says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Now, there's this crazy exchange that happens right after that. So Jesus is basically saying, look, look for eternal life that only I can give you, okay? And and they say, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? So Jesus gives them a very simple instruction. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Okay. And that's kind of true today. Really, we can't earn salvation, but we can believe in the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. I'll come back to that a little later. And then they answered. Now, I want you to imagine the people saying this to Jesus the day after he fed 5,000 people plus 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes, okay? They answered, Show us a miraculous sign. You know, like, wait, what? Okay, were you not there yesterday? That was a pretty miraculous. How many say that's a pretty miraculous sign? Has anyone here taken five loaves of bread and two fishes and fed 5,000 people? No? None of you have done that kind of miraculous work? Jesus did. And then they're asking him to show them for a sign. Now, there's, there's a hint here as to what they were getting to. And they say, if you want us to believe in you, what can you do? Goodness, have you seen the guy healing all who were sick and oppressed at the devil? And then they go, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. How many know that's not exactly what the scriptures say? Let's go to Exodus 16. Verse four. so they were looking for someone to feed them like God fed Israel when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, manna. Okay, watch, in 16, four. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm gonna rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for the day and I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Does that sound like Moses gave them food? So Jesus calls him out on it and says, I tell you the truth. (laughs) Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers the true bread from heaven. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm greater than Moses. (laughs) I'm greater than the manna that your forefathers ate. And then in 33, he says, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Still thinking natural bread. They still want food for their stomach. Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hungry, thirsty. Jesus is taking a natural principle of hunger and thirst and saying, if you hunger and thirst for my words and my righteousness and who I am, my identity, that's where you're gonna gain eternal life, spiritual food. You catching this? He's contrasting the natural principle with the spiritual one. Then they were a little bit upset with that, right? Uh, Let's see. And this is the will of God. Wait, no, back up. But you haven't believed me even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me but that I should raise them up the last day. For it's my father's will that all who see his son believe in him should have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement. They weren't very thankful at that point. Truth is, if you look down at verse 66, even Jesus had a church split over his doctrine. It says, there were many followers of Christ that stopped following him that day when he started talking about this concept of spiritual food versus natural food. They couldn't understand. Having eyes to see, they couldn't see. And having ears to hear, they couldn't hear. So they began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he see I came down from heaven? So they're looking at Mary, his, his natural mother. And Joseph his I don't know if you want to call him his stepfather or whatever. But anyway. So, and they're looking going, well, we know Joseph and Mary and how can Jesus dare say he came down from heaven? We know his parents. We know where he came from. Missing all of the Old Testament prophecies that pointed out to the very point that he was gonna be born exactly where he said he was gonna be at the exact time he was gonna be born. But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. See, I find it so fitting because Thankfulness and complaining are exact opposites, right? If you're complaining about something, you're not thankful. And if you're thankful, you're not complaining. Think about that today when you are eating. I don't have to worry about it. There's no complaints about my wife's cooking. <laughs> She's fantastic. Okay. Um, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. In the last day, I will raise them up. As it's written in the scriptures, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father. Only I who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. And Jesus says again, yes, I am the bread of life. Then he draws the parallel to manna. He says, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness because he knew what they were looking at. They wanted someone to feed them. But they all died. Everyone in Israel that ate the manna died and went to the grave. Just like all of us are going to die and go to the grave one day. Such an exciting prospect. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Jesus saying, you live by my words, who I am. Take part of me, my identity. I'm, I'm the bread of life. I'm the son of God. I'm the living one. I am eternal life, as we talked about. We'll never die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer the world will offer so the world may live as my flesh. So Jesus is giving us a picture that his flesh was gonna get, Crucified, he knew this. Okay, he knew that his sacrifice was going to pay the sin debt for people. He was talking about, and that's why he started revealing himself with all of his I am names to humanity I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He started going through this, I am the bread of life. He's using these natural pictures to communicate spiritual truth to humans so that they can understand that if they partake of Christ, they can partake of eternal life. But once again, you see that the people wanted Jesus dead, this time because he said he came down from heaven. But there's this picture of manna coming from heaven to provide sustenance, and Christ came to earth to provide sustenance. You survive on the words of Christ, not by natural bread alone. Are you catching this? What really keeps you alive is God's word. That's what sustains us. That's what helps us when we walk through stuff. That's what helps us on our good days and our bad days. That's what gives us, it's the words of Christ that give us eternal life. So when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, I think it's so fitting that we're talking about this on Thanksgiving weekend because he is life. He sustains us and he gives eternal life. Now, this part about Eating his flesh and drinking his blood is really misconstrued a lot of times in the kingdom. And there's a lot of confusion about it. And there's a lot of different camps that land in different places when they look at this. I think when he gave us the context of natural, spiritual, natural food versus spiritual food, and he kind of comes back to that a little bit later, he's kind of qualifying for us that um, it's a picture of us believing in the sacrifice that he made for us when he went to the cross. So when he was crucified, when his blood was poured out for our sin, there's this picture in partaking of, where we partake of and we eat of the bread of life. So I'll disqualify it in simple terms. Here where we sit at Windsor Christian Fellowship, I, I in, a, in a bit we'll come to the Lord's Supper, right? We'll come to communion, as, as some people call it. It's really our covenant meal or a memorial meal, okay? And just to clarify, I do not believe that the symbols of the body and blood turn into the literal body and blood. Okay, that's a doctrine. You'll find it more in a, a Catholic denominations with transubstantiation where literally there's a blessing that takes place and it transfers into the literal body and blood of Christ. And then you're partaking of his flesh, as he's trying to give us a picture of. Um, In the context, right, Jesus is talking about food that satisfies the body with food that sustains our spirit, and he's pointing this out to the people, but then in verse 63 of John 6, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Okay, spirit alone human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. He's clearly redefining, he's setting it up for, it's his words that give life. The bread of life is his words. It's not his physical body. Are you catching this? And then in in some groups that Orthodox, maybe Lutheran a little bit, um, they go with consubstantiation, which is really, it, it has to do with the presence of God comes into the bread and the drink, i it's a little much for me personally. I, I know it's just the way people look at it. I feel like these are symbols that represent and we're commanded to celebrate and proclaim his death until he comes again. That's what I kind of get when I read the New Testament from the Last Supper to Paul's writings. We're supposed to celebrate his death. We're supposed to proclaim his death. We're supposed to remember the work that Jesus did for us. And we do that as often as we can come together, right? And and really, Jesus is the one who sustains us in our spirit forever. When when Jesus is talking about eating of my flesh and, and drinking my blood, he's giving them a picture of partaking in his words and in his sacrifice. And when he ties it into the manna that God gave, and he starts talking about how he's greater than Moses, it really freaked people out. And it, it, the people he was talking it really freaked him out when he started talking about, I'm greater than Moses, and you have to partake of this, because they couldn't understand the picture that he was trying to communicate, so they started taking his words very literally, and they were like, how am I going to partake of it? Like, I'm not going to eat him, Right? And and that kind of goes against the commandments anyway. We're not commanded to eat, consume human flesh. kind of goes against God's (laughs) revealed purposes. So the whole context of this conversation, I'm the bread of life, has to do with spiritual food contrasted with natural food and how we need both to survive. Natural food feeds the natural man. Spiritual food feeds the spiritual man. And that spiritual food that we eat in Christ is what gives us eternal life when we adhere to his words and his teachings. Interesting enough, in Matthew 4, and I'll read verses 1 to 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now, think about that. Spirit of God in Jesus, because he lived as a man filled with the Spirit to a large degree, and he was just obedient. And if you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a hundred times, as Christians... We repent, we believe, we we get baptized, but we are supposed to live a spirit-led life where we listen to the Holy Spirit and we obey. We listen to the Holy Spirit and we obey. We listen to the Holy Spirit and we obey. That's what we're supposed to do, okay? And Jesus was kind of doing that here and the spirit led him out into the wilderness to this dry place, right, wilderness, okay? And he was out there specifically to be tempted by Satan. Now, how many of you have ever gone through a dry season in your spiritual journey? And the rest of you either haven't been around long enough or you don't realize that I was kind of looking for some sort of acknowledgement. (laughs) Okay. Jesus was out there to be tempted by the devil. And for 40 40 days and nights, he fasted and he became very hungry. Now, some of you can't go 40 minutes without food, let alone 40 days and nights, but nonetheless... Somewhere around 40 days, the hunger starts returning. If you've ever done an extended fast, you're hungry, you're starving, you think you're going to die for a few days, and then it kind of goes down, then you're not so hungry, and then all of a sudden when the hunger returns, you have to eat, okay? But during that time, the devil came to him and said to him, if you're the son of God, I find it interesting that Satan always tempts you on your identity, It's one of his main ways of tempting you or one of the first ways he's gonna tempt you is in your identity as a Christ follower. How many of you, you never used to worry about being a Christ follower and then you started following Christ and now the devil tells you all the time that you're not a good Christian or you're not really a Christ follower? But did you ever have a conversation with yourself about not being a Christ follower before you were? Do you ever think you weren't before? Why? Because he doesn't care. You're already in his camp. You're already following him. He doesn't need to convince you that you're not. But once you are, he tries to convince you that you're not. So usually I tell people, if you're asking the question, am I really a Christ? You're probably just being tempted to think that you're not. And you're struggling with your flesh and putting down its works. But that's a different conversation. So Jesus is being tempted here. Now watch. During that time, Satan said to him, if you are the son of God. So if you're the son of God, right? Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. I don't think that there was any question that Jesus could have looked at the stones and turned them into bread. He had already fed 5,000 people. I mean, or he was gonna feed 5,000 people. He created the world. He spoke it into existence. He had the power to say stones turn to bread and he could have created food for himself. That wasn't the issue. The issue was motive. Why? It was an identity issue. So Satan basically said, prove to me you're the son of God by turning these stones into bread. And Jesus is like, yeah, I don't need to do that because he quotes the scripture and he says, no, the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy 8. I'll read it in a second. Because Satan realized Christ's identity and purpose, he tried to get him off his purpose. When Jesus faced temptation from the enemy after a 40-day fast, right, and it was well within his power to remedy the situation, Jesus makes this statement right from Deuteronomy 8, and I'll read it to you. Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. Wait, what? God will allow you to be tested to prove your character to see if you're actually going to obey him. That's good charismatic teaching. We like hearing sermons like that. But testing is a part of the process of faith. It's part of the pathway going to be tested. And God wants to know, are you going to do what I've told you to do? or Are you going to do what you want to do? Are you going to follow my plan? or Are you going to follow your own plan? And there's lots of people that fail the test and they have to take it again. And I've seen people in churches for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and they keep failing the same test over and over and over again. So they keep taking the same test. humbling you and testing you to prove your character to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. And you see, even with the manna in Exodus 16, the people of Israel couldn't follow a very simple command. Only gather as much as you need. There'll be more tomorrow. And they gathered more than they needed and they left it overnight and it turned into worms. Maggots. And then he says, On the sixth day, gather much for two days and then you'll be good. That's a miracle in and of itself because if it can't go one night without turning into maggots, why would you expect it to go too? But God said, this is how it's gonna be. And he gave them very explicit instructions and some of them couldn't follow it. Just like he gives you and I some pretty explicit instructions for life, but we have a hard time following it because we don't want to. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry, then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus is capturing this from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And there's some parallels. Like, think about it. He had 40 days of testing. They had 40 years of trial. That's a good one. How insightful was the connection that Jesus made about his own temptation, realizing he was the living, eternal word of God that sustains us, the bread of life. And when we partake of him, we live forever. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he took a natural reference of water and he made a spiritual connection. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks the water will soon become thirsty again, right? But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. This is, this is what Jesus did all the time. So that's why I'm suggesting that the scriptures point to people who desiring spiritual life or eternal life will only find it in Jesus, the bread of life. If you're thirsty for truth in relationship with God, the one who is the living bread is the one who is going to provide that for you. He's the only one that can satisfy that desire. So many people, they go to false religions or new age philosophies trying to attempt to satisfy this desire to know truth and be complete. Other people look to sex. Some looks to substance abuse or power or wealth to satisfy this longing, but it always leaves you wanting more. Outside of Christ, you talk to someone that's very wealthy. You know what they want? They want to make more. Well, when do you have enough that it's enough? How much is enough? How much money do you need? How much is enough? How much power and control do you need before it's enough? It's never satisfied. Some of you got caught in that race for a long time and some of you dedicated many years of your life to those pursuits. Some of you pursue sex because they think it's an end to itself. Some of you have gone into false religions and you found yourself more confused than ever. See, Jesus the only bread of life, the way, the truth, the life, the gate, the good shepherd, right? He's the only way. Every other world religion will prove false because their founders have a tomb with their name on it. And if you make your own religion, one day you'll have a tomb with your name on it because we're all gonna die one day. And see, Jesus' tomb is empty because he resurrected from the dead and he's alive today, which sets Christianity apart from every other world religion without the other belief system. And not only is he alive, but he wants to have relationship with you, which leads me to this final passage that I want to read from Acts chapter four and then talk to you for a moment. So Peter just, spoke the words of Jesus and this guy got healed, okay? And the religious leaders are a little bit upset with Peter. Remember last week we talked about Lazarus and how they wanted to kill Lazarus because Jesus raised him up from the dead and they were upset with Lazarus and people were following Jesus because Lazarus got raised from the dead? Think about that. The young dead guy comes back to life and people are upset about it because they're not getting the glory. In this case, a crippled man gets miraculously healed and they're upset about it because they they're losing control, they're losing power because God gets the glory. But as Christians and Christ followers, God always gets the glory. If you want the glory, you're not gonna accomplish what he wants you to. It's all about him. He's the one that gets the glory. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, sorry, rulers and elders of our people. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Did you call us in here and put us on trial because we did what was right? Because we healed this guy that was crippled. Is that why we're here on trial? Do you wanna know how he was healed? Of course they do. They want to be able to do that, so people will follow them. They don't want people to follow Jesus, they want people to follow them. Let me clearly state to all of you, to to you, all of you, and to all the people in Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Now I'm sure it was spirit inspired, but man, Peter, he had to add the man you crucified. (laughs) but whom God raised from the dead. He had to throw that in there. (laughs) He he had to take that stab, you know. This guy's walking today because that guy, remember that prophet you guys tried to kill and God raised him up anyway? (laughs) Because of him, that's why this guy's walking. And man, that would have been fighting words for them. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Christ became the foundation for his church. And there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Salvation is in Christ alone. Christ alone. Now stand with me. And I want you to look within for a moment. I want you to look at your own heart. Before we go to the table, When Jesus declared himself as the bread of life and his words are words of eternal life. What does that mean? Through the old covenant, there was a sacrificial system set up where a lamb would be sacrificed and its blood would be sprinkled on the altar, the mercy seat. And by faith in that sacrifice, people could have forgiveness of sins for one year. And that was kind of the old covenant system of worship. But Jesus came to earth and what did John declare him? as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He became the substitutionary sacrifice. Why? Because every one of us broke God's law. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of his glorious standard. Every one of you has broken God's law. You've been deficient. And without Christ, you were in trouble because you had no way to pay for your sin. And Jesus came offering us life. His words, the bread, he started offering that to us. And he said, look, I'm going to go die in your place. My blood's going to be shed for you. By faith in my sacrifice, from repenting of your sins, releasing others for the things they've done to you, you can become one of my followers and receive the eternal life that I have for you. You partake of me. Don't forget, he says, to obey my commandments after You only partake of Him when you obey His commandments, and and so Jesus has given us this wonderful picture of how to obtain eternal life. He's given us the pathway. Now, some of you, you like coming here because you feel good when you leave, or you like to worship, or you like the pretty girl across the room, or the cute guy. I don't know. I don't know why you come. But we're a family. We're a family of Christ followers. And some of you have not yet come to that place where you've acknowledged Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've not received the bread of life that he's made available to you. In your heart, you've not come to the place where you've laid your life down and taken up his cross, his purpose for your life, his identity for your life, and started following him. So I'm gonna invite yous in a second, yous, All like sheep ewes it was supposed to be funny (laughs) I'm going to invite you to have an opportunity to come up and then for everyone else that is a Christ fellow maybe you're just in a place where you haven't been so thankful or the cares of this life are piling up a lot or you just you've been really struggling with eternal life and, and, and what God has for you and you just need a a refresh, a point of contact. So for all of you as well, feel free to come down. Those that need to know God, those that know God but need a refresher, those that are struggling, just come down to the front and partake of the Lord's Supper with us today. It's a point of contact. And so many people say, well, I can take communion on my chair. You can point of contact, the altar is when you actually make a sacrifice of your pride and come down to the front with us. Nobody's going to judge you. So Father, today, I thank you that Jesus, the bread of life, has come into the world to give us eternal life. And I thank you that as we look within our own heart that we can release those that have wronged us, sinned against us. And as we release forgiveness, we receive forgiveness. And as we repent of sin, we receive forgiveness. And as we acknowledge the sacrifice of Christ, we can gain eternal life as we partake of the bread of life. So today, Lord, as we come to the table together, I thank you that as a family, as a body of believers, that we can set aside the weight and that we can choose to create an atmosphere of thankfulness in our lives today. And we thank you for the good things you've blessed us with. Salvation, food, clothing, shelter, even the church family that we have to be together. And as we partake now, I thank you that you heal us and restore us to health in the name of Jesus. The blood of the new covenant the the juice that represents the blood. Father, we proclaim the death of Christ. We remember his sacrifice. We remember the Lamb of God that was killed on our behalf. Father, I thank you that you didn't stop there and you didn't leave him in the grave. And because he's alive, we can partake of his words and we can have eternal life today. Let forgiveness flow. Let freedom flow from every bondage. Father, I thank you that the blood of Jesus is applied to our lives and our household, and spirits from hell are not allowed to operate today. That you set us free to be free indeed. Father, we purpose to align our words with your truth and not complain or murmur, but to be thankful and grateful in every circumstance. Show us the pathway. Thank you that you're going to be glorified in our lives, God, as we're obedient. In Jesus' name.
2: Good morning, church. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. I'm Norm. And this is my beautiful wife, Nadine. And uh, first of all, we'd like to thank Pastor RJ for uh, such a great message this morning. Uh, today and tomorrow, for many of us, there's a time of Thanksgiving. And we have so many things, all of us, to be to be thankful for. And I'd like to take a second for one thing that we should be thankful for. And that's the, the staff and the volunteers here at WCF. As well, the pastoral staff that... Um, are led by Pastor RJ, Pastor Mary, uh, that did such a wonderful, wonderful job behind the scenes, and knowing their, their heart, their vision, and their love of people, we all should be so, so thankful to them for the for what they do in this church. Amen? <clears throat> After, uh, yesterday was a rough day. For Yesterday morning, we went down uh, as part of evangelism to the downtown mission, and we uh, came across a, an old friend that we had known, not an old, he's a young man, but we've known him for a couple of years, and uh, he's fallen upon very, very difficult times. In fact, uh, he's scared, and he's he's in a, in a dark place, and uh, we, we prayed, he received prayer, and he knows of the Lord, but when we left there yesterday, I think both of us were affected by the fact that, you know, uh, somebody we've known and prayed for, and uh, had come a long ways, is, is back in a very dark place. And when we re- returned home to our house of comfort and all the blessings that are around us, that, that are apparent, we still didn't receive any, any, anything from that. But when we returned to our bread of life, Jesus, and prayed, we received the, the blessing of that, right? I mean, we, God told us that he knows his name and we'll never, never forsake him. I'd like to share a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Bread is a second cause. The Lord Himself is the first source of our sustenance. He can work without the cause as well as with it, and we must not tie him down to one mode of operation. Let us not be too eager after the visible, but look to the invisible God.
0: As we leave here today, we're going to be, you know, filling our time with lots of things. You know, it's Thanksgiving, so we're going to be filling our time with dinners and, and get-togethers. And, you know, after that, we're going to be filling our time, you know, um, kind of feeding our physical selves with, you know, shopping and to-do lists and, you know, lunches and activities, extracurricular, etc., etc. right? And um, we're going to be meeting, looking at meeting, you know, our, our physical, our social, our mental needs, you know, with, with food, physical food, relationships, shelter, etc. But with all of that, we know that our eternal needs of our spiritual hunger will not be fed. And there is absolutely nothing that will quench our thirst or fill the yearnings of joy and peace eternally with our Father like only Christ does. When Jesus said, do not labor for food um, because it's Christ that only gives us that eternal life. And what he was saying was, he was reminding us to seek him first and to trust him, because again, he is the only person that will be able to satisfy us. And if we, he satisfies us through our obedience to his word, and and he does this through the calling in our lives. And sorry if I'm a little tongue-tied, um, just because as I think about the the bread of life in Christ and just how much we search for that sustenance and so many other things it just really gets me thinking sorry so what we encourage as we're leaving here today is that we flip let's let's look at flipping that kind of turning on the head turning on its head the our priorities as we walk out of here today in the practicality of how we live our lives and how we practice and because and how we get fed. Because we get fed by Christ. We want to be fed by Christ first. Have our spirits fed. And when we do this, it demonstrates his fi- the faith, our faith that Christ is the bread of our life. And with this, it leaves we know that it leaves us longing for nothing else and it speaks volumes to the world. It helps us serve as an example to people that nothing can sustain us except for Christ. This will show in how we live, the glory, the glory is all to God, and we're dependent on him for our provisions for our life in every arena. So again, as we leave this room, we encourage all of you to continue to be dependent on his provisions. His provisions first. Leave that space in our life for him in all aspects.
2: Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, thank you for being the bread of life. You are the one that satisfies our souls, our deepest desires, with the joy of our salvation. We come to you today with the gratitude for all that we have. May you open our eye in the eyes of all to see you, Lord, as the, our only bread for spiritual hunger. But also may we see your presence in the faces of all that have physical hunger. Lord, give us courage and willing hearts to provide and be with our brothers and sisters who hunger for so much. May we care for them and give them, you, Lord, our bread. We ask this in the name of the one whose mercy is endless. Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Now.